All right, well, thank you for those songs. Thank you for singing along. Uh, the cross right at the center of our lives. Uh, that's a, certainly a fitting song for the uh, messages that we've been examining these past few weeks and still today and in the weeks to come. I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14. And uh, uh, also, you might put a little slip of paper or your finger over in Daniel chapter 7. So that would be a a left-hand turn from Mark 14. And then also, you can stick another finger or a piece of paper over in Romans 3. Romans 3, uh, because we'll glance at those here in just a little bit. We are examining in these weeks the final days of Jesus on earth. And the events that lead up to the cross and move away from the cross, we're examining these events as historical events, but also the spiritual meaning and realities behind these events. On the Sunday before Easter, on the Christian calendar falls the celebration of Palm Sunday. You'll remember that's this big celebration as Jesus travels into Jerusalem on a donkey, and the people are enthralled with Jesus at that point. And there's applause, and there is acclaim, and there is proclamation of hallelujah, hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they're super pumped up about Jesus. But it doesn't last very long. The applause and the acclamation is very short-lived. In just a few short days, Jesus would be arrested, tried, and executed. And those same crowds that were once singing his praises just a few days before will be screaming out to crucify him. Really, there on Palm Sunday, as Jesus makes that triumphal entry, it's the crowd's applause and acclamation that in part provokes the religious leaders who are the enemies of Jesus to go ahead and decide, we've got to put this guy away. He needs to die for the nation. And so that's what's happened. We saw Jesus agonizing there in prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane a few weeks ago. And then last week we saw how Judas betrayed his God, his Lord Jesus. And we saw Jesus arrested. And that's where we pick up the story in Mark chapter 14. And really what I want to say to you today is that there are three components or elements to this trial of Jesus that now we will examine in Mark 14. In Mark 14, beginning in verse 55, we're going to see the component where the Jews try Jesus. We won't read it, but you'll be familiar with the beginning of Mark chapter 15, There were the Romans, under the governor Pilate, who's governor of Judea, tries Jesus. But what I would say to you is that there's a third component, or a third trial going on in this trial. And that is a heavenly trial. The courts of heaven convening, and we're going to consider each of those. Let's read Mark 14, verses 55 through 65. Now the chief priests and the whole council kept trying to obtain testimony against Jesus to put him to death, and they were not finding any. For many were giving false testimony against him, but their testimony was not consistent. 
Some stood up and began to give false testimony against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy the temple made with hands, and in three days I will build another made without hands. Not even in this respect was their testimony consistent. The high priest stood up and came forward and questioned Jesus, saying, Do you not answer? What is it that these men are testifying against you? But he kept silent and did not answer. Again, the high priest was questioning him and saying to him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? And Jesus said, I am. And you shall see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And tearing his clothes, the high priest said, What further need do we have of witnesses? You have heard the blasphemy. How does it seem to you? And they all condemned him to be deserving of death. And some began to spit at him and blindfold him and to beat him with their fists and to say to him, prophesy. And the officers received him with slaps in the face. The first thing I want us to consider in this scene is that this scene portrays the depths of man's injustice. The depths of man's injustice. Over the past several years, our country... And much of the world, but specifically our country, has become more and more consumed with trying to bring about reforms, maybe even retribution, against all sorts of perceived injustices, right? There are all these social justice movements. And regardless of how we might feel personally about any one of these movements or all of these movements, we do need to consider this, that justice is an important attribute of God. It's an important biblical theme. It was central to Israel's society. Folks, if we're going to have a lawful and peaceable society in which anyone can live, we need justice. It's important. And so I think that many of these social movements, though I would say there's pieces of them misguided, they are at least on the right track of saying justice for all, is essential. The ancient Jews, these religious leaders specifically that Jesus now stands before, they believed, so they said, in righteousness and justice. In the Bible, righteousness and justice, those are fairly interchangeable terms. They have different nuances, but but in fact, your your own translation may um, go one way or the other there, but, but... Keep those together, righteousness and justice. These ancient Jews, man, they were all about ritual righteousness. They were all about doing the things that made them clean before God, to be a holy nation, a holy people. They wanted justice and equity and righteousness. And here is Jesus now standing before the leaders of this righteous, just nation. In this trial, what I would say, justice has been fully aborted. It's been fully aborted. First of all, this trial was illegal. It was happening at night. It was happening during a holiday. They were doing things underhanded. They were not allowed by law, or really it's at least irregular, if not illegal. And now they are bringing these trumped up charges against Jesus. They tried to find people who will give, it says, false testimony. The whole thing, I think that we're, we're meant to see this as, it's a sham. These people who claim to be just and righteous are anything but. Justice has been aborted in this trial. It's a sham. 
They have no interest in actually discovering the truth about Jesus. They've already made up their minds, this guy needs to die. And so they're going to do anything they can and bring in any person or manipulate the system to get Jesus sentenced to death. That's what they're doing here. But it doesn't really work too well because of the false witnesses. Their stories don't line up, and so they get confounded, and they get all messed up. And finally, the, the high priest comes to Jesus and says, you know, forget all of that. What about it? Are you the Son of God? Are you the Messiah? And Jesus, who has remained virtually silent to that point, simply says, yes, I am. I am. And we're going to look at just a minute what Jesus actually claims But here's what happens next. They get all bent out of shape. They said, this guy has blasphemed. He needs to die. And they hand him over to Pilate. In Mark chapter 15, again, we won't read it. They said, this guy has blasphemed God. He needs to die. Now, the Jews don't have the right. They don't have the legal right to sentence Jesus to death. So they have to hand him over to the Roman governor, this guy named Pontius Pilate. They said, this guy needs to die. You need to give him the death sentence. And Pilate, he has no real interest, it appears, in finding the truth. He searches around, asks a few questions, and it says he perceives that the whole reason for Jesus being arrested is that the Jews are jealous of him. He knows that it's a sham. He knows that it's a fake. He knows this guy does not deserve death. But rather than being interested in justice, He's primarily interested in what? His political career, his pension, his retirement, keeping the peace. So he says, oh, man, well, if I, if I say this guy is innocent, I'm going to have a coup on my hands. What do I do? He's not, he's not guilty, I don't believe. Now, now, listen to this. Rome prided themselves on being one of the most, really, the most just government systems. They had these complicated courts and all kinds of laws. So you've got history's most righteous religious people who have aborted justice. You've got history's most complicated, sophisticated legal system aborting justice. Pilate has no interest in doing what is actually right. He has no interest in truly protecting Jesus' rights, the rights of the innocent. So he says, you know, I think I'm going to have to I think I'm going to have to do something different, go a different tack. I'm going to try to get the guy off, but, you know, I don't, want to, I don't want to be put to blame for this thing. And so he says, you know, it's a holiday, people. It's a holiday. And, and, and one of the things that I can do, I can release a prisoner to you. How about if I release this Jesus, the king of the Jews? He says that to the crowd, and what does the crowd do? You know, we believe in democracy here, right? We, we say, you know, it's good. It's good to have a government by the people, for the people, of the people. It's good that if someone is accused that they would face a trial by a jury of their peers. That's part of our documents. You would think, it, surely, surely, even if the religious leaders fail, even if... The politicians fail. Surely the people will be just. And what happens? When, when, when Pilate says, here you go, I'm, we can let this guy go, what do they say about Jesus? Crucify him. Let the murderer Barabbas go. That's what they do. Justice is aborted by the religious, by the government, and by 
the people. This scene portrays the depths of man's injustice. I want to show you something else, though, and this one might be a little harder to see. The trial of Jesus also raises the problem of the dereliction of God's justice. Now, you're going to have to stick with me on this one. The dereliction of God's justice is a potential problem going on here as we examine the trial of Jesus. Dereliction means that someone has intentionally abandoned their sworn duties, right? That's what that means. And here is an innocent man facing a trial. He has done nothing wrong. God, where are you in the midst of Jesus' trial? Why aren't you doing something about injustice? You know, the problem of evil, the problem of pain, the problem of suffering, all throughout history and for each one of us, it raises the question, I thought God was just. I thought he was good. I thought he was powerful. God, where are you? What are you doing in the midst of the suffering of the innocent? What are you doing in the midst, oh God, when the righteous are accused and oppressed? Where is God? That's, that's one of the questions we need to ask. Where is God in the midst of all this? Is he there? Is he doing anything? We go back to the trial before the Sanhedrin, before the high priest. They ask him the question, are you the son of God? Now look at this, Daniel chapter 7. Jesus' answer to that question, are you the Messiah? There are a lot of things that Jesus could have said. There are tons of Old Testament passages, messianic prophecies that he could have quoted. He could have simply said this, yep. But that's not all he said. He makes a claim specifically from Daniel chapter 7. So if you put your finger there, your little bookmark, or maybe you've got it on your phone... Daniel chapter 7. This is what Jesus references as he claims to be indeed the Messiah. Daniel 7. Let's look at first of all at um, 13 and 14 in Daniel 7. Now this is a vision that God gave Daniel about times to come. He says, I kept looking in the night visions and behold with the clouds of heaven one like a son of man was coming and he came up to the ancient of days and was presented before him And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. Jesus says, I am the Son of Man from Daniel chapter 7. Daniel 7 is mind-blowing to the Jewish people. There is this Ancient of Days, that's God, That's God the Father, and he's got his thrones, and the thrones are gathered. But then there is this second person, this second God-like figure that Daniel calls or receives as the Son of Man. And the Jewish people and scholars, they, they scratch their head over this. Who is this guy? Who is this second Yahweh-like figure, this second God-like figure? Jesus says, that's me. I am him. So not only does Jesus say, yes, I am the divine deliverer, he says, I am the son of God from eternity. But he actually uses the term, the son of man. So it's a specific capitalized title that Jesus is drawing on from the book of Daniel. 
Let's read now in Daniel 7, verses 24 through 27. And, and I want you to see in Daniel's vision, after this Son of Man receives a throne and a power and a dominion and the right to judge what God is doing in the heavenly courts. Daniel 7, 24 through 27. He says, As for the ten horns, out of this kingdom ten kings will arise, and another will arise after them, and he will be different from the previous ones and will subdue three kings. He will speak out against the Most High and wear down the saints of the highest one, and he will intend to make alterations in times and in law, and they will be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. But the court will sit for judgment, and his dominion will be taken away, annihilated, and destroyed forever. Then the sovereignty, the dominion, and the greatness of all the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be given to the people of the saints of the highest one. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all the dominions will serve and obey him. You're going, what in the world was that? Daniel receives this vision, and then he receives the interpretation of it. In his vision... And in the interpretation, what he sees is all of these various kingdoms of man popping up, going away. And then he sees this one beast with ten horns, and the horns are talking, and it's kind of weird. And, and he's going, what is that? It's kingdoms of man that are unjust. And as that's going on, then God proclaims to this son of man, your kingdom is forever. It's almost like this. It's almost like unjust things are happening on earth, but hey, God is wielding his justice in heaven. And you can be sure that God has not fallen asleep. He has not turned a blind eye to what's going on with all of the injustices in the world. God is preparing a perfect and righteous kingdom and king and it's Jesus. There's not, we can't look at everything that I would like to look at with this passage, but one of the important things that I want us to see is that even when all sorts of terrible things are happening on the earth, God has not forgotten. He is still completely righteous and good and just, and he is doing something. Specifically, in the trial of Jesus, I want us to see that God, is bringing about his perfect justice. So one of the things that all through this series I've been asking as I'm studying these things and preparing to come and preach is, what does the Bible say is the theological significance of this? What does the Bible say for itself? So not what is Sean Milliken's best creative interpretation of this. What else does the Bible say? So you've got your finger in Romans chapter 3. Turn to Romans 3. This will be the last one we turn to. Romans 3. Verses 23 through 26. Now, don't only uh, put your finger there, then pull it out. You're probably going to need to go back and study this some more on your own. I can't give you everything. <laughs> I've been told to keep it short today. And uh, so, so I can't give you everything, so you're going to have to go back and see if you can connect some of these dots as your head is spinning now. Romans chapter 3, 23 through 26. The Apostle Paul. In the book of Romans, which is arguably the central gospel book. It's not the four gospels, but it's an explanation and an exposition and an application of the gospel. 
Paul, in Romans chapter 3, again, some people would say, yep, and that's the central chapter. That's the gospel chapter of the gospel book of Romans. And then verses 23 through 26, Paul is expounding on what is happening at the cross and the trial of Jesus and all of these events that we have been studying. Let's just read verses 23 through 26. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by which or by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness, because in the forbearance of God he passed over sins previously committed. For the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time, so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Again, there's too much here to deal with all of it, but what I want you to see is that in Jesus' arrest, in his trial, and in his death, one of the things that God is doing, he's vindicating himself against any charges that he's somehow unjust or unrighteous because he forgives sins. In other words, think about this. In the trial of Jesus, God is actually exacting perfect, righteous judgment and justice on sin. So it says that in the cross and in the trial of Jesus, God is proven just. God is proven just. So you've got to meditate on these things a little bit. And you think about how, how is God just in having Jesus, an innocent one, executed for the sins of others? That's a great question. This is right at the heart of the gospel. We need to think about these things. And again, we could fill a year with talking about the cross. But one of the things we have to come to grips with is that God's forgiveness is not predicated on God just going, I'm just going to overlook those wrongdoings. And there are so many heinous things done in this world. So many evils and atrocities and injustices. And, and sometimes we struggle with saying, how could God forgive that? I just read last night of a story. Uh, you know, injustice always rings true or it rings out when it's close to home, right? When, it, when it's someone you love or when it's you or someone like you. I was just reading last night about a pastor of a Baptist church who reports a couple of weeks ago he was murdered in his homes by an intruder. Well, the story has come out now that actually uh, his wife and her boyfriend plotted this thing to kill him in his home. You go. And he said, that is pure evil. And you could think of things done to you, things done to your loved ones, or things done to your gender or your race or your whatever. And you go, man, that, that's awful. And then to think that God's just going to overlook that. 
going to sweep it under the rug. That, that's not what God is doing. Forgiveness is a gift, but it is costly. And I think that in the cross, one of the things that the Apostle Paul is saying in Romans chapter 3 is, don't ever think that forgiveness means that God is getting rid of justice. Actually, the cross and the death of Jesus, the execution of Jesus, is God holding up for all the world to see that sin is awful. And it's costly. And he has not forgotten about it, and he doesn't sweep it under the rug. In fact, he's executing justice on it in the cross. That's part of what Romans 3, 23 through 26 is all about, that God is not just forgetting about it. Forgiveness is costly. He uses a word in Romans chapter 3 called propitiation. Propitiation. Propitiation in his blood. That is the blood of Jesus. You know what that is? Propitiation is a payment or a restitution for a wrong. So, so in other words, in Jesus' condemnation and in his crucifixion, he is making a payment, a restitution for sin. Justice isn't a complicated thing. I, I think we throw that word around a lot. And I was just thinking on the way to church this morning, I'm like, what is justice actually? You know, have you ever studied so, something so much you just get totally confused and you don't even know what you're talking about anymore? You're like, yeah, that's what you're doing right now. And, and I'm going, justice? Well, actually, so, so we're in this time when people are seeking social justice and I'm preaching about justice and injustice. What is justice? That's a great question to ask. You know, the answer is actually not really clear. I mean, Google it. Find out. That's what I did. People that are seeking justice. So, so I would ask you this. If, if something happened to you, or maybe it has happened to you, or you're involved in a social justice movement, I would ask you this. What are you actually seeking? What is justice to you? What do you, what do you think it is? Hey, let's do something fun. Anybody want to answer? Well, you go, okay, justice is served when, when a wrongdoing is, is legally prosecuted. That happens here in this account. Jesus is prosecuted. No, there were shams and all of that. Part of it is that God is bringing him to trial for our sins. So it's prosecuted. Is that justice? Well, no, you hear stories of people say, well, justice wasn't served because they didn't get what they deserved. Well, Jesus got what our sins deserved full penalty, a death sentence. That happened. What is justice? Let, let me give you a couple of things that I think are at least relevant as we think about what is justice. And it's trying to answer the question, how is the cross just? How is that God doing what is just? Number one, I think justice is to say, I'm I'm, I want to order society in such a way that it prevents partiality and oppression. So, so one group doesn't get to put down another group. Okay? One group doesn't get to put down another group. So we want to order society in a way that is good 
for all. Second, I think that justice, we say, well, justice was somewhat served when there's a public recognition of right and wrong. And to say, we're not going to stand for wrongdoing being perpetrated. All right? So, public recognition and rebuke of wrong. That's happening here with Jesus. It's, it's, it's for all to see now. It's happening there before the Jews. It's happening with Pilate. In his crucifixion, Jesus has said is publicly displayed. So there is this public display. A lot of the social justice movements going on right now, I think that's primarily what they have in mind. We're just going to bring it to the forefront. We're going to put it out there and make people face this stuff. Sometimes justice is just saying, we need to, we need to have this conversation. We need to recognize right and wrong. God is doing that right here with, just, with Jesus. But I think ultimately we say justice is served what? When there is restitution. When there is restitution. Would, would you agree with that? When, when there is some sort of payment for the wrong. Now I, I say, well, what sort of payment would be sufficient for a murder? How do you pay for that? Well, that's a great question. How does a society pay for slavery? What, what, I mean, how do you put it? Do you put a dollar figure on that? This is one of the questions and struggles of our society today is how is restitution supposed to be made? And if you really start pressing into this, you go, you know, about the only clear one I can get is like, if you stole $100 from me, you owe me 100 bucks plus my lawyer fees. You know, that's the, I mean, that's so, you know, we kind of get that. But again, I would say, what about, what about slavery? What about the abortions of millions of babies? What about when I hurt my spouse? What about if someone abuses their kids? What's, what's the restitution for that? And we realize that that's actually hard to get a handle on. But God gets a handle on it. And he says this. Restitution, you could never pay it. You don't have enough resources to pay what sin owes. You know, ultimately, all sin is against God. We tend to focus on this aspect. When you sin against me, it hurts me. And you owe me. But there's another aspect that says, actually all sin is against God. And we owe God. And so on the cross, and Jesus' arrest and his condemnation and his execution, he's paying by his life's blood. The perfect, innocent one is essentially this. It's God saying, there is a debt that no man could ever pay. And it's God saying, but I'm willing to pay it. I had a, a theology professor that said it about as simple as you can get. He said it this way. He said, if, if you built your house and you've got your house and a little punk comes and throws a rock through your window, breaks your window of your beautiful house, and water gets in, does all this damage, all kinds of things, he says, you know, and, and, and the kid comes and says, I want to be forgiven. You can say, yes, you're forgiven. 
But somebody has got to pay for that window. And that kid doesn't have the money to pay for the window. Forgiveness, propitiation in his blood is God saying this. I want to forgive you. I do forgive you. But somebody has to pay for sin. I'll pay for it. That's what Jesus is doing. It's God saying, I'm going to pay for it. I am going to be just and also the justifier. So, we need to see that the cross actually is God doing what is just against sin. The final thing I want to say to you about the cross and about Jesus' trial and in the courts of heaven convening, not just the courts of men, is that actually this scene poignantly displays God's great love for sinners. God's great love for sinners. For me, Barabbas. I mean, it's just something we should take hold of. Here is this murderer and insurrectionist that goes free instead of Jesus. Jesus should have went free. That guy should have been punished. And the just gives his life for the unjust. It's the great exchange of the gospel. Someone has said that the cross of Jesus is where mercy and justice kiss and meet. God is doing what is just, but he's also extending mercy to sinners. How much does God love you? One of the pieces I had missed in reading this for a long time was when Jesus was standing before the Sanhedrin, before the high priest, these righteous men, and they condemned him to death. And rather than just saying, you know, bind this guy and sending, bind this guy and send him on his way to Pilate and let him do what he will, they begin to abuse him. They slap him. They punch him. I don't know why this one stuck me, stuck with me this week. It says they spit on him. And what did he do? I can't imagine someone walking up to me and spitting in my face and me not. Or, or something. And actually there's a prophecy in Isaiah chapter 50. It says the servant of the Lord, the suffering servant, he will give his back to those who would lash him. He will give his face to those who spit on him. He took that nastiness all the way to the cross and it only got worse and worse and worse. And that is God saying to us, This is how much I love you. Justice has to be served for sin. But I'm going to take your beating. I'm going to take your spitting. I'm going to take your place. So that we could be reconciled. I can still be just. And you can be justified by faith. I love that. Because this is how 1 Peter 3, verse 18, and I'll close with this, interprets the crucifixion, the trial of Jesus. He sees the same juxtaposition of God's justice 
and man's injustice. And here's what he says, and this is where I got the title for the sermon, The Just for the Unjust. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. Christ suffered once for sins. In other words, if you come in the train of Jesus and you say, I'm clinging to him, I'm believing on him, he has suffered once and for all for all of your sins. He has taken your spitting and beating and death. He has shielded you from it. He did not shield himself. The just died for the unjust once and for all so that he could bring us to God. Sin ultimately separates us from our creator God. And Jesus came and he suffered and he died so that God's justice could be satisfied and that his mercy could be extended to you and to me. That is the very heart of the gospel. Today, I want to call you to believe on the Lord Jesus. To understand, you know, you see this in our country right now. We're struggling. The country is struggling to get a handle on justice. But you know, one of the things, and not to minimize anything, but one of the things we need to recognize is, folks, there is not one person in here or out there who can stand. In other words, we have all committed injustice and sin and atrocities. Man, if the everything we'd ever said or done or thought was put out there for all the world to see, who could stand? Who could stand? Not me. There would not be one person left standing in the courtroom of God if it wasn't for Jesus. He died for us. The just for the unjust. And I want to call you today as best as I know how, as sincerely as I know how, to trust Jesus and what he did on that cross for you. That is the only way you will be able to stand before God is to say, that's what I believe. That's what I'm trusting. He's the one who paid for me. Would you bow with me? If the Lord has spoken in your heart today, if you've seen Jesus taking your place, just tell him so. Tell him, I believe in you, Lord. I trust in what you did for me. I turn from my sin and trying to manipulate and wrangle and figure out a way to justify myself but instead I just trust you give your heart to him today I need to say this to to Christians because I think this is what Peter 1 Peter 3 is actually saying he says you know you're going to be persecuted you're going to be hated the message of the gospel is not going to fall on good soil all the time and you're going to be mistreated Jesus died the just for the unjust 
And Peter says, you don't have to justify yourself. You don't have to fight. You don't have to punch. You don't have to spit back. You need to be like Jesus. You need to be confident in what God is doing and in his justice and leave it to him. Leave it to him. Father, help us today to lean on the old rugged cross, to see Jesus there receiving what our sins deserve and providing a way back to you. And help us to glory in that gospel and in that cross every day. And Lord, as we interact with other people, give us grace. Help us to remember how much we've been forgiven when we deal with others whom we disagree who we see as living inappropriately or whatever it is, help us to extend grace and forgiveness that's found in the cross. Help us to be a grace-filled, loving, Christ-centered, gospel-hope people. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, John's going to come and close out the service for us. Just a moment, we'll celebrate uh, birthdays and anniversaries. Uh, just a few things before we uh, uh, do that and dismiss in prayer. Just a few reminders. Um, we do have a one of this Wednesday night will be our resurrection egg hunt, and so we will be uh, doing that. Thank you for those who brought candy. Saw the candy in there. And then uh, also, I think next Sunday, well, we'll, we'll I'll talk about it in a second. Um, so be, this, that'll be this coming Wednesday night, and then our usual Wednesday night activities. Uh, we do have two Bible studies, one that's going on uh, in here in prayer meeting on uh, Pilgrim's Progress and then um, uh, with Ron Godfrey, and then the Cones are uh, in the shower room, and they're doing um, the uh, Bible study on the book of Ruth. And so I uh, invite you to come and be a part of that, as well as our, our Awana egg hunt, and then also uh, youth as well. So a few other things. Miss, uh, Miss Haven Sue's uh, baby shower is uh, today. Is she Is she here? She's she's already she's a back row Baptist already. She's not even here yet. Um, train up the child in the way she should go, and they'll hide out in the back forever. Um, I just made that up. But anyway, but her shower today at 1.30, Come uh, come celebrate. Uh, you always know the second child. Uh, they diapers, baby wipes, and baby bath products is what they're asking uh, or needing. That means you've had a second child. Amen, parents. First one, you're like, let's figure this out. Second one, like. They need to bathe all the time, and those diapers never end. If you haven't had kids yet, God bless you. So uh, maybe one day you'll be blessed. So uh, that's today at 1.30. Uh, also, the secret uh, sister uh, drawing, it says uh, April 21st. I've been out of town this week. Um, I think I don't believe that's the correct date. It's the 11th, a voice from the wilderness calls out. So um, April 11th. And uh, so make note of that as you draw a name and you fill out a card and then you have a secret sister, exchange gifts each month and uh, whatnot. You can see Mary, Mary, where's Mary? Right back there. You can see her if you have any questions uh, about that. And then also our children's ministry, we're looking for uh, a few more volunteers for our preschool preschool Sunday school and then also children's church. need about four more people for our children's church 
uh, to get that up and running, and then uh, a small handful for our uh, preschool Sunday school. And so if that's you, uh, or maybe you're interested and you know somebody you'd like to drag along, I mean, bring along with you and uh, help that with, that was, that was, anyway. Yeah, that was fun. Thanks, son. Appreciate that. Uh, if you know somebody, uh, you know, team up together. You can serve together alongside of each other uh, on your uh, appointed rotation. And so uh, if you're interested, please uh, see me uh, and let me know. Uh, we are coming upon Easter next Sunday. It's hard to believe. Uh, we've rounded third base, heading home for school. Uh, and then Easter is this coming weekend. And we do have a communion uh, service this coming Friday night. Uh, as well as Sunday morning at 7, we will have uh, our sunrise service here, and then we will have uh, our breakfast, uh, like we've done in the past, and then Sunday school, and then our morning uh, worship service. I believe during, between the breakfast and Sunday school, the kids will have another another egg hunt, I believe is what my wife told me. Is that correct? Correct. So that'll be uh, next uh, Sunday. So I believe uh, that's all the, the announcements that I have. Uh, for birthdays or anniversaries, uh, we've kind of moved that to the last Sunday of the month, uh, but if you have a birthday or anniversary and you'd like to, to give, uh, that money goes to Arkansas Baptist Children's Home, and so that's where the money goes if you'd like to contribute to that. If you want to be recognized where you're at by standing up, you can do that. Uh, we don't mind. So any birthdays or anniversaries for the month of March? Birthday... Birthday and anniversary. Is it the same day? Birthday? Happy birthday. Birthdays. Hospital a little, little bit busy this month. Anniversary. Anniversary. Any other birthdays or anniversaries? Anybody hiding out in the balcony? All right. Well, uh, congratulations on your anniversaries and, and birthdays. Uh, let's stand and we'll be dis dismissed in prayer this morning. Uh, we do want to invite you, if you if you this is your first time visiting, you have a prayer request, there are cards in front of you in the pew. The offering box is in the foyer on the table, and it's a great place if you'd like to know more about the church. Or like a visit from somebody, you can just fill that card out, slip that out in there on your way out. So, uh, man, we pray this morning that you've been challenged uh, in God's word and look forward to uh, Easter this coming weekend. Let's pray. Lord, this morning, what a reminder this morning of your message of, of justice, Lord, that you have paid the price for our sins, uh, a price that cannot be paid by money, by time, uh, but was paid by your blood uh, for us, Lord. May we never take that for granted. Lord, I pray even now, if somebody in here does not know who you are, does not have a relationship with you, Lord, that today is the day of salvation for them. Lord, I pray for us as believers as we go out today, the people we encounter, that we share the good news with others. Uh, Lord, especially this time of, of Easter and uh, being in the forefront of, of what's going on around us, Lord, that we never miss the opportunity uh, to be your light in this world. In your name we pray. Amen. <laughs>